welcome to another episode of Chart of Fortune, the astrology podcast where I look at the birth charts of the moments and things that made pop culture. I'm your host, Elise Blaylock, and this week we are continuing on with our problematic Gemini queen, Alexis Nyers, and finishing out the Bling Ring Astrology Saga. But before we get into all things larceny and Louboutins, it's come to my attention that most of my listeners are Gen Zers. And I want to say thank you, no, like really thank you for listening to me. I am truly incredibly touched and in awe and am convinced that this statistic is wrong. One, I want you to know that I have worked long and hard to rid myself of most things chooky, and I feel like that may really have paid off for me. I've eliminated carbs, just kidding, uh, minions, minion memes, flavored vodka, and any traces of signs that say things like live, laugh, love. And I believe that it's finally paid off. And secondly, I feel like we are carrying on the eternal tradition of passing down oral traditions from generation to generation, sharing our history. And while this podcast is nothing close to a worthy cultural tradition that anthropologists will one day document, I want you to know, Jen Sears, that I think of myself as Andrea to your Tess and Alexis, but like no one's going to jail. I'm here to teach you, but I'm not going to teach you real adult skills. Instead, I hope that I can impart some random pop culture, and in my case, astrology knowledge, and our shared love of vision boards. And I think that all of those things are ultimately more about me projecting my needs onto you with a dream that you might learn something that I think is valuable is valuable and you will propel me to an undeserved success through you and your ebullient little souls. Simply put, I want to say thank you for listening to the podcast that I wish I had when I was your age because we did not have podcasts. We had CDs and Zunes and layered polo shirts. So I hope that you will stick around because I am forever here to try to explain why we thought it was okay to wear jeans and dresses at the same time. And so I raise my glass to you and say, may you keep your standards high, but your jeans rise low. May you become famous on TikTok. May your hair never stick to your lip gloss. And may you always remember that the mid 2000s is both the cultural epoch we needed and the ultimate result of a late capitalist cesspool that is America. To you, my Gen Zers, I love you. And as Amy Poehler and Mean Girls said, you girls keep me young. Now, when we left off last week, we were wondering how we ended up from, you know, being in this house with the Nyers with like a Buddha statue they got from a closing down Thai restaurant chanting, and so it is, to sitting in a courtroom in Los Angeles. And to do that, I need to introduce you to two new characters, Rachel Lee and Nick Prugo. Because as I might have mentioned last week, the bling ring was shockingly not the work of the girls who were going on fake dates with Ryan Cabrera and going to Mexico against their attorney's explicit advice. I know, so weird, but so it is. You see what I did there? Okay, moving on. Rachel and Nick are about the same age as Tess, Uh, They were high school students who attended Calabasas High School, but for various reasons, uh, for Rachel, it was excessive truancy, and for Nick, it was because he had attended a rehab facility. They both were unable to keep attending Calabasas High. So they met and became friends at high school called Indian Hills Alternative High School. Nick 
Upon telling this to a Vanity Fair article and then later a book, recalled that Rachel was always well-dressed and she was obsessed with celebrities and specifically Lindsay Lohan. And you can put that in your mind. We're going to come back to that. We will discuss this more later. But anyway, Rachel, Nick, they become best friends and they eventually start engaging in petty crimes together like all besties do. By the way, by the time you're listening to this, it will be a happy belated National Best Friends Day. So cheers to Rachel and Nick. Okay, they start off with some petty crimes. They have a mutual friend that was out of town one weekend, kind of a friend who was like closer to Nick. And so they decide to go over to that person's house. And while they're there, they kind of rifle through stuff, or at least Rachel does. And they find out that this friend had $8,000 in cash under their bed. And so they take it. They think 4000 each. That's a pretty fun weekend. And in the same weekend, they decided to come back to that house and then take the Acura to Rodeo Drive and spend that $8,000. This also evolved into them going to parties or just taking walks in neighborhoods at night or outside of nightclubs where they would go ahead and check car doors. And oftentimes people would hide their wallets in the side of a car door, but leave their car unlocked by mistake. So they'd go ahead and steal credit cards from cars in those areas. Now, I know it's a little early in the episode, but it's here that I have to admit that there are certain aspects or information about the bling ring saga that we don't really get answers to. So there's going to be things I'm going to bring up in this episode. There's only like two or three where it just doesn't like there's more information and we just don't know what it is. One of these, I'm going to call it like an unsolved mystery moment, is whether Nick and Rachel were ever dating. The narrative he presents was that they were incredibly close. She was a criminal mastermind. He fell for it. If you've seen the Sofia Coppola film, The Bling Ring, and we're going to reference that a lot in today's episode. Um, If you haven't, you can watch it on Netflix. But in the movie, we kind of see him have a little bit of a crush on Rachel. He drives her to the airport. He has like very sad puppy eyes. But we're also kind of led to wonder if Nick is kind of questioning, you know, maybe his gender identity, sexual orientation. We see him hold on to a pair of heels from Paris Hilton's house. Um, And it's, I don't know if it's implied that he's kind of, you know, considering what he might, you know, feel about other people, what he feels about Rachel. They also kind of try to muddy the waters by, you know, constantly playing up the fact that Nick had extensive knowledge of um, couture or runway fashion, fashion houses. He worked to personally style Tess and Alexis for auditions and for photo shoots. And that energy in the film could be read as the idea that Nick is gay and that he is not interested in Rachel in that way. They just became friends. He felt roped into the burglaries by her, but they never had a relationship. So again, unsolved mystery. What you do need to know, what we do know, is that at some point, Nick and Rachel decide that they need to up the ante. Like, they've been stealing from friends of friends, they've been stealing out of people's cars in the area, but they think, why aren't we stealing from famous people? Because surely we live in Los Angeles, so there's a ton of them, and surely those famous people would have way better, more expensive stuff. So, they decide to first try to rob Paris Hilton. There are a couple of reasons for this. One, she fig- they figured Paris Hilton is ungodly rich. She is an heiress, and she probably won't notice if we stole a couple of things from her house. Two, 
At the time, this is 2008, Paris Hilton is incredibly popular and she is all over gossip websites, especially one like Perez Hilton. Um, And it would often be announced when Paris was hosting like a nightclub event where she would host or DJ. And she often did these in other cities. So they found out from tabloids where she would be. And then they used this really old website that actually still exists, I believe called Celebrity address aerial.com although it is like it has a paywall so you can't go to it today unless you want to pay for it and they used that website celebrity address aerial to find out exactly where paris lived in sherman oaks and exactly what her house looked like and after seeing the aerial shot of it so from the air they made a plan to use the path on the side of paris's house that apparently wasn't super visible on her security cameras so Sometime in the month of October 2008, Nick and Rachel wait until Paris is out of town at a club. I think at the movie, she's in Miami. They drive to her house and they search for a way to get into her house. So they park far away. They climb up the trail. They found a key under the doormat or like at her front door. They go to grab it, but realize that the front door is already unlocked. And they rob her. From October to December 2008, they rob Paris a total of five times. They steal clothes. They steal shoes. They steal nude photos from her safe, which was just left open. Um, and it kind of a fun fact about this, not the robbery itself, because we're not condoning that. But when Sofia Coppola made the movie, Paris Hilton is in the movie as herself. And they also shot several scenes in Paris Hilton's home. So... When the actors and actresses are in her closet, it's really her closet. Um, So that's kind of interesting. Kind of meta. So that takes us to December 2008. And there's a brief moment. They stop for some winter holidays. Don't know if they actually do anything fun. um, Or they just take a moment. Maybe celebrities are home more in January. I have no idea. But their next burglary is in February 2009. What I'm about to tell you is definitive proof that these people really were just dumb teenagers, that they are more lucky than talented. They truly thought that Audrina Patridge, their new target, would be at the Oscars in February 2009. But miraculously, when they picked Audrina, Ceiling Eyes, if you know, you know, Patridge to rob next because of her aesthetics, she was actually out of town. She was not at home. But she was not at the Oscars. Instead, she was visiting her parents. So they broke in through her sliding glass door, which was unlocked, and her security system was off. And in one weekend, I think it's about a 36-hour period, they took personal jewelry, her laptop, her passport, clothing that was clearly specially made for Audrina, and they had a second trip of filling up their car with stuff. And after they finished that, not more than 20 minutes later did Audrina get home and realized she had been robbed. So she drove to a nearby gas station because she didn't know someone else was in her house, and she was totally freaked out, and she called the cops. And on February 24th, 2009, Adrina released the security footage of her backyard, and TMZ and KTLA, which is like the local news station, replayed these images. It showed profiles of Rachel and Nick and two friends they had recruited from school, Diana Tomeo and Courtney Ames breaking into the house and hauling bags and bags of stuff out of her home. Now, 
It's also important to know that Courtney and Diana go to high school. These people, so they're around the same age. But Courtney has a much older boyfriend who is a bouncer at an infamous LA club, Lay Do, uh, which is a club that Audrina went to a lot. Everyone went there. It was very popular. And so as the bouncer, he would often help sell stolen merchandise or move it. And in the Sofia Coppola movie, it's Gavin Rossdale. And it's really random. Now, when the security footage aired, Nick does what I think most of us would do. And he thinks, oh, my God, my life is over. Like, I'm on that footage. They're going to find out it's me. So he calls Rachel and he's like, what the hell are we going to do? But Rachel apparently was unconcerned. And Rachel is either incredibly prescient, like she really knew how this was going to play out, or she's just incredibly confident, as you can only be when you are like 18 or 19 years old and think that you know fucking everything. Because the footage that was leaked to the press, the footage that they showed, it led to nothing. No one ever knocked on these people's doors about this bubkiss. And I think that as like uneventful in a way as the Adrena robbery is, in some ways this is really a turning point for the bling ring. Because prior to this time, you know, Paris Hilton never reported a break-in. And it had only been Nick and Rachel before they started at Audrina's house. There was no footage. But Audrina's house is the catalyst point. Now they say, okay, we broke into a celebrity whose house has cameras outside. Like, this might be the sign to stop. But they didn't think that. They thought... You know, instead of thinking, hey, we got enough stuff, we can move on with our lives, we had our fun. But you and I both know that that doesn't happen if you know anything about the bling ring. And if you don't, then spoiler alert, they don't see this as like a one-off from the universe being like, hey, you guys kind of overstepped, so I'll let it go this time, but it's time to stop. No, no. What they decide to do is keep going. But what you might not know even if you know about the bling ring, is that on this day, February 24th, 2009, there is a new moon in six degrees of Pisces. And so new moons, we are, one, we're headed for an eclipse on the 10th. So that's uh, Thursday, the day after this episode will come out in June. And that's like a new moon. You know, we have those full moons, new moons. Those are like regular moons on steroids. But here, When we're talking about a new moon, it's a time also like an eclipse of beginnings, right? And it's in the degree of Pisces. There's something that's kind of cerebral about this. This is the beginning of a different era of the bling ring, right? Like just as the Audrina break-in signal out a new iteration of the bling ring, because there are more people involved, there are different celebrities being burglarized. I think there's also this Piscean kind of moralistic decision that it's like, oh, well, this was our chance to kind of turn back. Like this was an exit on the freeway um, of morality. And we just kept breezing on through. We did not get over. We didn't try to get over. We didn't see if there was another exit on the road. We just kept trucking. And it's here in the in the Pisces vibe that I'm going to add in another mystery of the bling ring. And this one is maybe also not as interesting as the core mystery, which we'll get to in a moment. But it's to me, it's exactly how do all these teenagers meet one another? Because Courtney, Diana, we know they go to school with Rachel and Nick. That makes sense. But 
how do Courtney, Diana, Rachel, and Nick meet up with our protagonists, basically, our pretty wild sisters, Tess and Alexis? Now, in the Vanity Fair article, the suspect were Louboutins, which I have linked to in the show notes if you want to read it. Alexis told Nancy Jose that they met through the Valley party scene. Like, they kept ending up the same parties, they talked to each other, it wasn't a big deal. But later in several podcasts, Alexis revealed that Tess and Nick met at a rehab facility. And on some level, this mystery, much like the exact nature of the relationship between Nick and Rachel, doesn't really matter. Like, it doesn't really matter exactly how they met. It's only that they knew each other and that they would commit these burglaries with each other. And from an astrological perspective, maybe the greater mystery here that we don't know is Rachel's the only key member of the bling ring, bling ring that we don't have a birth date for. We just don't have the ability to have a ton of perspective from an astrological perspective about who Rachel really is and what she's really about. We know that Rachel's um, parents, I think, immigrated from North Korea. And so her dad was not in the picture. Her mom remarried. And when she was like an early teen, so like 13, and her Mom and stepdad own two uh, Kumon, I think it is, K-U-M-O-N, tutoring centers. Um, We have them in Washington State, and they're in California, but I don't know if they have them where you live. But basically, it's like a tutoring center where people sit and, like, pay to send their kids to get tutoring for school. Um, So not a lot is known about Rachel's birthday, you know, and it's not – I believe she was born in North Korea – It's not even clear if that's the case. So there is a a little bit of mystery and intrigue around Rachel's kind of origin story here. But what we, when we don't have a birthday, we just have to go off of like, what do we read about this person? And I think that's unfair in a way because everyone else, you know, Rachel has declined to sit for interviews. Um, She did one for Us Weekly that was pretty fluffy that was like, I regret what I did and I'm moving forward as a person. Um, So that doesn't give us a lot either. And Nancy Joe's Vanity Fair piece, Suspect Laura Louboutins, it really paints Rachel as this kind of sociopathic criminal who really doesn't care about what the law is who doesn't care about other people there will be other books um, that come out that nick directly contributed to that really paints rachel as this kind of like sociopathic monster the idea that there's this thesis around like the columbine shooters that one of them was out for fame and the other was easily duped in and that rachel is that person who was you know, fame hungry and just trap Nick and all of these people in her dangerous web. And the Sofia Coppola film also kind of underlines less the idea that Rachel is just this maniac who can't be controlled and doesn't care about other people and more that she has a pathological need to be in the world of rich and famous and fabulous people. So here is what we do know, and that is that Rachel, Nick, Tess, Courtney, and Diana are all born in 1990, and Alexis is born in May 1991. When the burglaries begin in October 2008, there are a couple things happening astrologically. The first that we really need to talk about, we'll get to a couple others later, is that all of these teenagers have their natal Jupiter in the sign of Leo. And in October 2008, Neptune is in the opposite sign of Aquarius. Jupiter, it symbolizes wealth. It symbolizes money. Um, 
so does Venus, but we're talking about like for Jupiter, I think it's like generational wealth. It's the idea of expansion, abundance. So maybe it's not just money, but Jupiter is also stuff. And all these themes are happening in the sign of Leo. Now, it could be because Jupiter stays in a sign for a little bit that people with this signature at this generation is particularly drawn to that Leonine star power being famous. They're powerful. They're, you know, they walk into a room and people notice them. And this transit is one where Le- Neptune is the planet of illusion and dream and also film, so the film industry, and it's opposing Jupiter. And I think that this coming together is kind of this pea soup of a transit here. But really, it's about the excesses of Jupiter being kind of unchecked by Neptune. Like, you're so confident that it's it's borderline excessive, bold behavior. And because you're in the Neptune haze where you can't see, or see clearly, you're more likely to feel like you can take on, on that risky behavior because you don't really know where you are. It's like the idea if you're driving down a foggy road, but you think you're a really good driver, even if you've never been on this road before. Jupiter is making you feel like you can drive your car at like 70 miles an hour in the middle of the night in fog and nothing bad's going to happen because you may not be able to see, you know, more than a couple of feet in front of you, but damn it, you feel confident in who you are. And this kind of obviously is is alluding to the fact that these people are thinking that like nothing bad's going to happen if they rob these celebrities. And in a roundabout way, this kind of answers the biggest mystery of the bling ring to me, which is like, why? Why it, did they do this? And why did they do it the way they did it? Why did they never feel like they had to cover their faces? And maybe that's a COVID reaction because I have spent more than a year with a pa- like paper or fabric covering over most of my face. But why didn't they stop burglarizing homes after the Adrena thing? Like what made them feel like they could? And I really think the answer is like, why didn't they try harder why, to conceal their identity? Is why did they do this in the first place? Is because like they didn't think they had to take those precautions. They didn't think anything would happen. They felt like they wore hooded sweatshirts that obscured the sides of their faces. And that was kind of it. They knew not every celebrity had security cameras. So that'd be good enough. And it's totally infuriating. So if you're feeling that, I want you to know that obviously. The whole like karmic retribution is on its way, but it's not here yet. So (laughs) instead of taking a look at their lives, taking some inventory and going, we almost got caught. It's time to fold up shop. They didn't. Following the break-in at Audrina's, the group decides to rob Rachel Bilson six times between April and May of 2009, and they take over $130,000 worth of clothing, cash, and other items from her home. They eventually take so much stuff from her that they end up having to sell some of it at the Venice Boardwalk for a few thousand dollars. Now, back to the astrology for a moment, though, if I can. In 2009, Rachel Bilson and Paris Hilton, who were born, both born in 1981, were burglarized the most, right? So over 2008, 2009. And when they are being burglarized, both were entering a fourth house perfection year. And we talk about perfection years with some regularity. And the idea, right, is that for every year of our life, we move into a different house and depending on how old we are, the themes of that house are going to come into play for our lives. Now, 
In this case, we're talking about the fourth house. And the fourth house, if you are learning astrology, there's always going to be keywords for houses that you're going to like remember, like flashcards kind of. Fourth house is home and family. And, you know, the family thing is one thing, but more importantly, it's the concept of home. And their homes become a huge topic for them because, of course, both of them later learn after the fact that they had been robbed. And I don't know if you've ever had someone break into your house or break into your car or just, you know, feel like uneasy, like someone went through papers on your desk and they shouldn't have. It feels gross. Rachel Bilson did talk about this a little bit more than some of the other victims. She declined to appear to appear in the Sofia Coppola movie. She was pretty angry that they made a film in the first place and considered it really exploitative. Um, But she did end up talking about the incident years later. And I don't know if you can hear this in my voice, but I, I mean, I hesitated kind of sharing this part of the story. But again, I feel like this is a lot about like, we don't have anything to go off of Rachel Lee, not Rachel Bilson. And this story kind of is a weird moment about who Rachel Lee is. So I'm going to tell you, Rachel Bilson is on this podcast called Everything Ironic. It's uh, the host is Danny Pellegrino. I haven't listened to it, so I don't know if it's good. Um, if you love it, let me know. I'm always looking for a new podcast to listen to, especially one about pop culture. But anyway, she's on there and she says, she's talking about like being burglarized and what the worst part of it is. And kind of, there's something that Rachel does, Rachel Lee does that really had an impact on Rachel Bilson. She says, quote, I guess they came into my house five different times and took everything. And even one girl gave an interview and she was like, I got so comfortable going in her house. I took a shit in her bathroom. And I was like, that's more invasive than stealing my purses. End quote. Okay. Yeah. You can see why I kind of hesitated, but then I was like, this is very interesting information. What does this mean? Okay. So hold on to your seats because here's the hardest left turn of a pivot you have ever fucking lived through. Back to perfection years. Okay, not perfect perfection years, not bowel movements. We talked about the fact that Rachel Bilson and Paris Hilton were going through their fourth house perfection year. But guess what? The bling ring members are also almost all born in 1990. And except for Alexis Nyers, they are all entering an eighth house perfection year in 2009. Now, the eighth house is symbolized by resources and the wealth of others that we have access to. Second house is our money. Eighth house is money that isn't ours, but that we can use or have access to. Now, admittedly, ancient astrologers never were like, yeah, so the eighth house totally applies to other people's stuff that you blatantly stole, especially if they're reality TV show stars or have a sex tape or appear on a TV drama that's for teens. They didn't get that specific. So, If they go ahead and yank my self-taught novice astrologer card for this, let's call it generous interpretation, then I will let you know. But honestly, if they don't for my uh, reenactment from last week, then I'll be surprised. So here we are also talking about the eighth house in the context of inheritance, legacy. And this also makes me feel like that for these members of the bling ring, This is about the legacy of their lives, right? Like they're going to do these things, rob these celebrities, and that is going to forever impact who they are as a person and like their lives. That's going to be something that they're known for. No matter what else they do in their life, 
frankly, none of them have done anything that extreme to like move on from this that we remember them for something else. And so there is that legacy component to it too. Now, this is a head-on collision of narratives. It's right now in the summer of 2009 that the original timeline I presented to you from our first episode where we covered the origins of the story of the show Pretty Wild that aired on E! and The Bling Ring. So just to recap, in our original timeline, last week we discussed the fact that Tess and Alexis met producer Dan Levy of Not Shit's Creek fame, who offered them a reality show about their lives being homeschooled in the ways of the secret and trying to become famous actresses. And as you might remember, they had signed a contract for this reality show in June of 2009, but because they were still using drugs, there was that um, really intense article about it that basically Alexis and Tess get kicked out of their family condo sometime in July 2009. Nick corroborates this narrative because in the Vanity Fair article, he says that Alexis and Tess were staying with him um, because they got kicked out. And as a result, Alexis participated in the July 13th, 2009 burglary of Orlando Bloom and Miranda Kerr's Los Angeles home. Now, Alexis has sworn up and down that she was simply too inebriated on drugs to remember. Okay, wait, inebriated. I didn't know if that just applies to alcohol. My understanding applies to any substance. So if it works, it's inebriated. And if it doesn't work, basically, Alexis was too fucking high to remember discussing that she was going to go to this robbery. And she said that she woke up in the car when they pulled up to the house and they told her she had to participate or else. And so she panicked and peed and threw up in the bushes near Orlando Bloom's home because she was sick and she was really stressed out. But the security footage that was obtained from Orlando Bloom's home shows that she was wearing a black blue tracksuit and she was walking backwards up the hill to the house and she later would be carrying bags of stuff out of the house that suggests that like because she has kind of weird movements she might have been on drugs but she was clearly participating in the robbery what we also know is that rachel diana and alexis were at the home for over three hours and they stole most of orlando bloom's collection of vintage watches and we found out that alexis would be arrested in the same black tracksuit later in 2009. Now, I also mentioned that this burglary happened a little less than a week after the lunar eclipse in the sign of Capricorn on last week's episode. This particular eclipse, this lunar eclipse in the sign of Capricorn, formed an exact conjunction to Alexis's natal Neptune and Capricorn, which you already knew. So we're just revising here, reviewing. We talked about how this was kind of a rock bottom for our girl Alexis. Like, The eclipse in a lunar eclipse, you know, it's the end of a chapter, right? So it's the end of the chapter living at home. It's about being in conflict with a female relative or significant person in your life. She's very much in conflict with her mom. And on top of that, she is struggling with addiction, which frankly, Neptune is very addiction. We talk about Pluto being obsessive, but there is something to Neptune about like the cycle of addiction in the context of we are feeling such deep emotions, whatever they are, or feelings or memories that we are using some substance or behavior to make it so we don't have to deal with those things, that kind of Neptunian fog. 
But here's what I didn't mention in last week's episode that now we're, again, collision of information is all of the Bling Ring members have their natal Neptune and Capricorn. They all do. That's They're born within a year of each other. Fair warning, I also have this placement, so whatever I'm about to tell you comes with a grain of salt of like, I've had to think about this in the context of my own life, but here we go. Chances are that if you yourself are a millennial, you're a younger millennial, you will also have Neptune in Capricorn. Now, I say what I'm about to say with the idea that, yeah, there's totally lazy astrology that's like Capricorn's about money, wealthy, capitalist, but we have to be clear here, Capricorn is hardworking. Capricorn does want to be at the top of their field, whatever it is. They want to be successful and they want to be in control. It could be a CEO. It could be an underwater basket weaver. But I do believe that Neptune and Capricorn people can want to be rich. They can want to have material success and maybe even fame. The Cancer Capricorn axis is not only just about our personal lives and private lives. It's also about security in those fields, right? I think Cancer wants to have an incredibly secure and like locked down personal home life. And Capricorn wants an incredibly secure and locked down public life, their job, etc. And when I say famous, I I feel like fame, I feel like fame can be like parsed out into little pieces. So to me, there's like Leo energy fame where it's like being really well known for being really well known for being like fabulous. And then there's a Capricorn one, which is like, oh, as a leader in their field of blank, so-and-so is that kind of thing. Accomplishments, work, Neptune and Capricorn. The bling ring is really the story of like five teens living a mere matter of miles away from celebrities in their fabulous homes with more money and clothes and cars than any person on earth really, really needs. And this is a story that happens in the middle of the 2008 recession. We are seeing celebrities receive endless swag bags at this time. You know, while this people who live just miles away from them are out of work, are underwater on their mortgage, are struggling to stay financially afloat. If you don't think that there's a link between the fact that the, you know, economic crisis of 2008 started in the fall and then within like two, less than two months, they're at Paris Hilton's house robbing her. I would, I would really caution you to think if there's really no correlation there. And and to this point, even on a minute level, we know from last week that E, the reality network, they rented a home for the Arlingtons, Tess and Gabby and Alexis and their mom while they filmed Pretty Wild with the idea at first being, oh, well, they can't film at the condo for HOAs, but they could have gotten somewhere small to film. Instead, they picked a house in the Hollywood Hills. And that small act, that renting a house, I think led a lot of people, myself included, as a viewer, to think that the family was successful than they they were really that successful. Like you see them in this big house. It's in the hills of Los Angeles. You think these people have money. They just haven't made it into stardom yet. Instead of realizing that they're probably making the bare minimum payments on their condo and they simply can't film it there because the HOA said, hell no. And the story of the bling ring is the story of children who are, you know, the product of parents who work in the industry 
maybe people like Andrea, you know, and Tess's mom who wanted to make it as stars and never broke through or people who work in the industry in non, you know, camera or public facing roles like Nick's dad. And those people don't have paychecks that come close to the people who star in movies or shows or music videos. And almost all of these kids were spending their school nights in nightclubs with fake IDs. Some of them were sleeping with men in their 30s. And as a general thought, they were being ignored or coddled or misled by their parents. And I don't want to get like really Freudian and just blame their parents here. But like, I just don't think that there's a world where it's appropriate for your 17 year old, your 18 year old to be going to a nightclub on a Tuesday. Like, I just don't see that. Thanks. So it's also important to note that in the Vanity Fair piece, Rachel, Nick, and Tess all kind of have these allusions to the idea that their parents are absent or Tess's case, there are real addiction issues in her parents' lives or simply that they don't like their parents are in conflict with them and that this, you know, further exacerbates those tensions. And yes, all of this is to say, Lots of people have very difficult family relationships and lots of people have issues with substance abuse and those people don't often react by robbing homes. And I know that this is going to a place of hyperbole or the tired story of how corrosive fame is, how money and privilege do not make people better people. It just makes them they them have more easy choices they can make or that our increase in being online and our social media presence is destructive to all involved. And if you've been here for a minute, then you know all of these things are well discussed on this podcast and in the pop culture world in general. But you have to understand all of these contexts to to try to piece together why these kids make the choices you do, that they do. You have to know that they really care about celebrity culture and fame and that they are deeply attracted to not only the stars, but the lifestyles that they live. They weren't just bored kids who were tired of bowling at the bowling alley or going to movies, living in suburbia just outside of Hollywood. There are real struggles in their life. They are living in the tension of a huge recession. They are not actively being parented or didn't have a relationship where their parents, um, people they could talk to or go to. And all of these factors proved to make this very toxic cocktail that lead us to August of 2009. I'm about to make kind of a jump, but I feel like if you get it, then you really get this podcast. And I hope you do because I think it's there. Okay. This cocktail reminds me of this interview of Stellan Skarsgård. He was interviewed because he was recently on the show. Okay. Not recently. That was like 2019. Pre-pandy. Time moves differently. He was on the show, HBO show Chernobyl. Now I watched this show. I really liked it, but also so, so hard to watch. Now, this was either like an NPR Fresh Air podcast or the Chernobyl podcast. Um, I didn't have time to find it, but I did talk about, I did find the article where he references this also, and I linked it for you in case you care. But anyway, Stellan Skarsgård, famous actor. When Chernobyl happened, he was living in Sweden, and he said, point blank, you know, everyone knew that you just couldn't eat any of the plants and animals in the forests of northern Sweden because they had been exposed to the nuclear radiation from Chernobyl. And in a less extreme way, these teenagers are that Swedish forest, right? Like there are the mushrooms and the bunnies and the deer and the trees. They did not contribute to Chernobyl. 
or the incredibly materialistic celebrity culture that they are doused in, but they are in the orbit of it. Similarly, they were just kids when the 2008 recession hit, or they're very young adults, but their lives are going to be permanently impacted by that economic event. There are these huge forces that are out of their control and so shape who they are. But in a weird, terrible way, our little Swedish, northern Swedish forest bunnies achieve the Neptune and Capricorn goal of being known for their work. In their case, it was about evading the police for six months and having almost a year-long string of burglaries at, that resulted in them stealing over $3 million in cash and personal items. But they were incredibly successful in stealing clothes and credit cards and shopping at Kitson because, yes, you need to know Kitson and the Bling Ring exist in the same Marvel universe. So if you haven't listened to that episode and you're thinking about it, like, parallel worlds. And they were, according to Alexis Nyers, partying with Hollywood elite, as she mentioned in, again, the Vanity Fair piece, saying, quote, the clubs we went to, like Apple, Guys and Dolls, Teddy's, Echo, it was known that we were hanging out with Emile Hirsch and Leonardo DiCaprio, just like typical young Hollywood. And in 2009, Leonardo DiCaprio was young. Okay, so Orlando and Miranda's home robbery is kind of the different part of... So first we had Audrina. This is the change of the bling ring. And in a way, Orlando and Miranda's home is the end of the bling ring. Like we're leading into the final days of the bling ring here. Because in a few short weeks after this robbery, they get a little worried and Rachel decides to pack her bags and move in with her dad in Las Vegas, of course taking along some of Orlando Bloom's stolen artwork to decorate. But just to bring it home, like a terrible sermon here, the lunar eclipse that we're talking about that happened in Capricorn, lunar eclipses, again, mark changes in our relationships with the women in our life. And it's very clear to me that Rachel leaving did affect the group. As much as I don't want to make it seem like I think Rachel's a monster, I don't think that she is, but I do think that she probably was really the, you know, force behind the bling ring. Because in her absence, things really don't go well. Things kind of fall apart. The group, specifically Nick and Courtney, decide to rob Brian Austin Green and Megan Fox's house. Because in Nick's words, he thinks it will make Rachel, quote, jealous. Nick will later confess to this burglary, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But Brian and Megan never notice anything was stolen. So after this kind of failed Brian Austin Green, Megan Fox, oh, we're going to make Rachel jealous because she totally loves Megan's style, um, and it didn't work, Rachel does come back to Los Angeles. And on August 23rd, 2009, the plan is for them to burglarize Lindsay Lohan's home. Now, Lindsay, our girl, we know her. She was kind of, well, frankly, she was an obsession for Rachel. And I know how creepy that sounds, but... As I mentioned before, many of the break-ins were planned around celebrities whose travel schedule would be covered by the press. And also, as a side note, a, a celebrity that had personal style that the bling ring really liked or was attracted to. But Lindsay Lohan was the ultimate target for Rachel. It was not simply that Rachel really liked Lindsay's style and wanted her clothes and accessories. I think there's some indication that breaking into Lindsay's house was also a chance for Rachel to be in the inner sanctum of her idol. Nick told Vanity Fair that, quote, Rachel's biggest conquest was Lindsay Lohan, her ultimate fashion icon. 
Now, it was widely reported when this happened that Lindsay's house was a mess when they broke in. But Lindsay knew immediately that she had been robbed, and she reported the burglary right away. She also shared her security camera footage with LAPD and police, and they noticed that the burglars were the same people who were did the Audrina break-in. But, and this will kill you, nothing comes of it right away. Because Rachel returns to Vegas in Lindsay Lohan's clothes, like the overly confident and astrologically aware, unaware teen that she is. Because what Rachel doesn't know, and you're about to find out, is that one week later on August 30th, there's a new moon in Libra. I know, it's so moon heavy. I'm sorry, guys. It's a lot of emotions. I get it. This is not really a space I love to be in. But new moon in Libra. Why do we love Libras? One, great aesthetic choices. Two, themes of justice and fairness. The scales, baby. And one day after this new moon in Libra, an anonymous tip is called into the LAPD. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret. The tip isn't anonymous. It's Alexis, and she's saying that she knows the people who broke into Lindsay's house are Nick and Rachel. She would later tell podcasts um, that she felt like calling the LAPD was the right thing. And in some ways it was. But what happens next is, in typical bling ring fashion, a little nonsensical and definitely ridiculous. To get ahead of this story, because it is breaking in Los Angeles, Rachel calls tabloids to say that Nick knew Lindsay Lohan and that he knows that Lindsay faked the burglary for attention and good PR. Now, this did fly for a little bit because 2009 Lindsay, it's not our best Lindsay. She had been accused of stealing jewelry from a Los Angeles boutique. And in 2009, she has this movie, Labor Pains, which was supposed to be a a feature film, like went to theaters, but instead became a TV movie. Um, And, you know, Lindsay's name was just not, people didn't think that Lindsay was like a very reliable narrator. So this tabloid like farce from Rachel flies for a little bit. But eventually, Nick confessed to the crimes, and he also, at this time, admitted to the Brian Austin Green and Megan Fox burglary, which, of course, they never reported. He also tells the police that he didn't act alone, and he worked with Courtney and Rachel and Diana. But for some reason, he doesn't mention Alexis and Tess. Now, I don't know, again, unsolved mystery, is did Nick know that Alexis turned them in? I have no idea. What I do know is that eventually... Rachel gets arrested in Las Vegas, and while she is being arrested, she the cops are going through her house. She's being detained, and they hear the cops talking about how Lindsay had asked about the bling ring kids, and Rachel gets choked up. She gets emotional, and she interrupts the police officers to say in the most starstruck tone that you can imagine, Lindsay was talking about me? Like, what did she say? Rachel she didn't say anything good honey okay skipping forward a little bit on October 22nd 2009 just as pretty wild is supposed to start filming Alexis Diana and Courtney are all arrested Alexis's arrested arrest was actually reenacted as a scene for the show because producer Dan Levy got a phone call while he was mid chiropractic appointment that Alexis had been arrested Uh, One of his assistant producers called and they were like, 
hey, Dan, I know you're busy and you're across town. Is there any way that you could, like, um, come to the Valley and, like, tell us if we can bail out one of our reality stars? You know, the girl, one of the girls that you met while they were in a kissing scene in a frat movie? Yeah, that girl. Can we bail her out? And he had to drive from Beverly Hills to the Valley to pay her, pay her bail money. Now, this is the important thing. I know what you're thinking. Where the fuck is Tess in all this? Now, Tess was never shown on any video footage. And so she remained silent because someone eventually listened to a goddamn attorney. But Alexis told the cops about everything she knew about the Orlando Bloom and Miranda Kerr break-in. Now, a couple of months later, she, of course, is interviewed um, by Nancy Joe, sparking the Nancy Joe phone call. If you know, you know, slash if you listened to last week, then you know. And the suspect wore Louboutin's article came out on February 1st, 2010. And This Is Wild, Pretty Wild, aired the next month on E! Network in March, and it ran for only nine episodes. And of course, as you can imagine, there is no season two. This was originally supposed to be a reality show about these girls becoming models and going on dates and becoming famous, but instead it became a courtroom drama. And it's now that I want to wrap this episode up, tell you the sentencing stuff for each of the Bling Ring members, and then we're going to talk briefly about the Sofia Coppola movie. So here it goes. Rachel Lee was sentenced on October 26, 2011 for a no-contest burglary of over $25,000 of property from Adrena's home. She was sentenced to four years in prison, but she served one year and four months. And... I don't know how she got away with this, but this is like big Rachel energy. She never returned any of the stolen property. Nick was sentenced on February 15th, 2013. His was the last case to two years in prison after pleading no contest to Audrina and Lindsay's burglaries. He served one year in prison. Courtney, in what can either be considered a truly wild or truly audacious or truly such a bad move, decided to wear a stolen rosary necklace of Lindsay Lohan's to her trial. And Courtney's charges were actually mostly dismissed after the charging detective appeared as himself in the Sofia Coppola movie without getting permission to do so from the LAPD. So as a result, they had to like wave a bunch of charges that were at Courtney. And basically she received two months of community service and three years of probation. Diana, who was the A student of the group and got all the best superlatives in the yearbook, pled no contest to burglarizing Lindsay's house, and she received 60 days of community service and three years of probation. And our girl, Alexis, the problematic Gemini that started it all? Well, you know that this story isn't simply one of Alexis picking up trash along five for a few months. Oh, no. Once Alexis and her legal team learned that Orlando Bloom would be testifying in her case in court, she pled no contest. She was eventually sentenced to six months of prison, three years of probation, and $600,000 worth of restitution to Orlando Bloom. She served 30 days in jail in the same cell that Paris had stayed in and had Lindsay Lohan in the cell next to her. Alexis would later admit that while in prison, she sold stories to the tabloids to help pay for her legal fees and her family's expenses. And she did feel bad about it later. And finally, the Bling Ring movie premiered on May 16th, 2013, less than a week after a solar eclipse in 19 degrees of Taurus, which was in opposition to every Bling Ring, mem- every Bling Ring member's natal Pluto in Scorpio. 
Now, since we're talking about a solar eclipse and not a lunar one, there is a chance that we're talking about new chapters and new beginnings instead of ending things and, you know, letting go. Or ending things, right? This is a chance to write a new chapter in our lives in a solar eclipse. To have this Pluto energy, which at its worst can be obsessive, shameful, power hungry, in Scorpio, no less. Which means Pluto is really strong because in modern astrology, Pluto is ruled by Scorpio. All of that energy to meet the sun in Taurus and that earthy realness that Taurus gives us. It's the chance to do the tough work of being confronted with the mistakes that we've made in our past and move on. Or if it's not possible for us to be positive during a sun, like a solar eclipse, it's at least to know that the painful reminder of our choices, which this is obviously bringing up for them, is the reality that whatever we do in this life, that is part of us. It doesn't always define us. So, Whether you have grown up and fled the bling ring and you have your own podcast like Alexis or you became a beekeeper in Michigan like Tess, please remember that everyone and everything has a birth chart, but yours is a chart of fortune. Please, please, please join me next week when we cover the best fictional Gemini of all time. Thank you for listening to Chart of Fortune. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for a future episode, you can email me at chartoffortune at gmail.com or message me on my Chart of Fortune Instagram. Please consider leaving a five-star rating and review. It helps other listeners find this podcast, and it gets me one step closer to being able to homeschool my dog, Hazel, and teach her the secret. I'm kidding. No, I'm not. Okay, I love you. Bye.